In this episode, I got the chance to talk to Matt Pelosi. In addition to being a music producer and musician, he is the ad strategy and social media manager at Cyber PR. He makes his living marketing music. And, and in this episode, we talk about a, a crazy amount of topics in like PR and ad strategies and just like too much stuff to name. So, so watch this one to the end because there's a ton of value in it. Enjoy. If you could, tell everyone who you are, what you're about, and what you got going on in your life. Cool. So what's up, guys? Uh, I'm Matt Pelosi. Uh, Andrew and I originally kind of met up because uh, I, uh, my boss at Cyber PR asked him, asked if I would have a, a live Instagram with him because he's so knowledgeable. So it was awesome. Um, so that's how we met. Um, I am also a music producer. Um, I do a lot of future bass, uh, EDM, pop, all that kind of stuff. Um, I was a DJ first and um, a drummer first and it all kind of led me out to california i went to icon out there to learn to produce um and uh i just learned everything i had to from interning at studios and stuff out in la and um i somehow got into the marketing social media side of music um uh, i guess because the lack of money at the time on the production side yeah. uh, so i uh, and still that way i mean <laughs> but uh you know, I got into that, and uh, that also turned into a career for me too. Marketing artists—it's uh, for me—it's interesting to have side and the and the marketing side. It's it's my whole thing is I talk to a lot of my clients to approach their social media as an artist because it's so easy to get caught up with things that other people are doing. So that's where I'm at now. I'm kind of developing this very organic approach to social media, helping artists at Cyber PR. So. Um, nice. producer and, uh, and, uh, and a marketer for music. So nice. Man. So now, I, I heard you mention that you, you went to icon collective, the school. Did I you went, meet up with, um, my friend, big Jer, Jerry DiFilippo? Sounds so familiar. When did he go? So he, he's a teacher there. <laughs> you just had on last week's right. Yeah. yeah. That, I, think the I was like, I went to icon. So. As I was graduating, he was just, he just got hired. Oh, nice. That's cool. So yeah, um, that's me. So I produce and I do marketing and in terms of music, I'm, I'm launching a nice little future bass kind of, um, and trap hybrid trap type. Um, I'm about to launch that cause I just left a, a band I was in. It just wasn't working. Um, and, uh, now I'm going to go solo. So it's nice, nice. to have that side of it. Yeah, yeah, that's dope. And it's crazy that you, you moved out to L.A. to, I mean, that's a huge leap. And you, you hear that a lot from musicians where they're like, L.A. is where all the magic happens. I'm going to go to L.A. Did you find that, that that actually, like, helped you taking that plunge? It helped me more in my personal life than it did the music, I would say, because um, I just jumped and I thought, oh, my God, I'm going out to L.A. I'm going to be famous. I was a DJ at the time. <laughs> Uh, it, it, it kind of made me fall flat on my face because I'm from New Jersey where everything's so small and if you're good at something, you can kind of get up there quick. But you go there and it's like every single person you talk to, like, oh, I opened for that guy too. I opened for Zed too. You think you're all special. And so you go out there and there's like 200 other people that have the exact same resume as you except more. So it's like, um, wow. So it, it, it really humbled me and um, taught me to just be kind of like a student to, to life in general and um and then yeah it was nice to learn ableton and all the key commands and the sound design and stuff so at icon they taught us most of the tools right they didn't really go into depth on like applying them they just taught you what an eq was what a compressor was the key commands for ableton logic so it's up to you to kind of explore 
making music and as long as you know the mm. tools so that's it kind of changed my mindset to life and production so it was it was very cool it, it, it's changed my life yeah that's cool so uh you know obviously now you're working with with cyber pr and you mentioned so i i don't know if anyone anyone here that's watching this or is watching the final video um i did a guest thing on the cyber pr uh, instagram and then also it's on the youtube channel i'll, I'll link it in the, the video description because um, it was a cool chat but you mentioned that um the way you get into cyber pr was you're like i like what you're doing i want to like intern for you or, or work for free for you at first and yep and so uh now um are, are you like a full-time member of the of the staff and i'm on the team now um i'm handling clients yep um kind of knocked everyone off balance um they were training me to be like the assistant to the vp there jamie she's awesome and then COVID came and kind of swept um, yeah like i do the ad strategies and i and i have a couple of clients of my own with them and uh yeah i i actually she <clears throat> for my band in the past, I was in a duo. I found her because I was downloading all her blog posts. Like, they were all amazing. I have her book. And um, we reached out to them. They ran our PR. And at the time, I was working at a marketing agency. So I was really hands-on with our PR campaign because they were great there. And um, then, after my band <laughs> kind of fizzled out, I went on to um, – I wanted to kind of just get my hands back into the – business side of it so i reached out yes and i was like honestly i just want to learn can i can i just work for free for you guys and then the next day the whole team sent me a list of stuff this long i was like oh my god what did i get myself into but sure enough it turned into a position you know which is i, I, I love that because i was a fan of ariel like super fan i had every book she wrote i have a printout of all her stuff she taught me how to do this stuff and now i work for her it's really cool <laughs> yeah and that's uh... That, that's I mean that's kind of a an incredible story just by itself but it's uh, I hear that kind of a lot where people they get their foot in the door by essentially finding something they like and providing some kind of value in return to get get the knowledge and you saw and you saw an opportunity you said I love what this person and her team's doing like I, I want to learn from them uh, so you, you're just like what's the most ultimate valuable thing you do free labor <laughs> um, no. and through that, I would imagine now you're you're somewhat of an expert in the industry yourself. You're working alongside one of the industry experts, and uh, now you work with them full time. So, I, why? So, is it a full time gig doing that? Um, it's 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 pretty much like right now that it's from home. Like we're tracking hours, but yeah, I mean the the amount of work is pretty uh, it's pretty heavy. So um, yeah, it's pretty much if if I were to call it. it. What's interesting is everything that I have around me now. I applied that same uh, work for free. Um, and it's an interesting story where that came from. This is what I mean, how LA kind of changed me personally. Um, I don't know if you know who Aubrey Wright is. He was like Martin Garrix's tour manager, um, uh, Sebastian and Grosso, all those guys. He came and did a Q&A icon, right? And everyone raising their hands, get to where you are. You're on the road with Justin Bieber and, and, uh, and uh, Scooter and all these guys. and. Um, <coughs> He goes, you know what I did? He's like, um, I was stage tech, and I got that job because I walked up to the guy one day and I said, I, can I help you guys? Can I work for free? <laughs> Ever since that, <clears throat> I um, I use that technique. So I work at a studio also. Um, I teach there. And ever since, I, I just, I really have applied that, you know, 
give somebody value and surround yourself with people that you want to become like. Like if there's something you want to learn, um, I've always surrounded myself around it. And not to just use somebody, but there's always a two-way. I offer whatever I can and they kind of mold you, you know, and, and you, you really just learn by being around them. So I've really applied that in, in everything I can. Yeah, that's that's a super good point. Like I, I used to, I forget if, when I was in college, um, you know, I, I'm a super nerd, but <laughs> the the saying that I used to always say to like my friends and, and stuff is like, you're the average of the five people you spend the most of your time with. And that applies both in an improvement way and also a unimprovement or a going downwards way. Like if you exactly. see it everywhere and we're like, where a bunch of successful people like a CEO of a company happens to be friends with a bunch of other people who are successful. And also in the music industry, you'll see like the guitarist of Periphery, Misha. Uh, it's like he's friends with the guy from Animals as Leaders and they're friends with the guys from Born of Osiris and the friend, you know, it's this big like big thing where people who are successful seem to like their friends are somewhat more likely to become successful because they're all bouncing ideas off each other and they're all kind of helping each other out and uh, that's a good point you know you're 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 around someone who has all this experience and naturally that's going to bring you up if if instead you decided to hang out with like a bunch of i don't know like drug dealers or something <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah i did too. I, I not the drug dealer part but i used to party you know i used to i used to just want to go out and do that whole thing but it wasn't until i i realized i was like you know what like i'm gonna do music however i can and i'm gonna make money off of it I quit uh, a marketing agency I was at last year, and, and that's ever since two years ago now. Ever since I jumped that cliff when I moved back here, um, it all just, like, I'm working in the music industry full time, whether it's with the marketing, whether it's my own production clients, whether it's teaching, working at a studio. Like, um, it came a point where I was just like, I'm going to jump off this cliff and I'm going to make money off music no matter what, and I did it by surrounding myself with the people. If I needed to learn how to write songs better, I hung out with songwriters, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, it, it just, it worked out for me. So it's it's nice because I, I have that marketing all the way to the artist side and I can relate with the people I'm marketing to on that level. They're not sitting across from somebody that just cares about how am I gonna grow your numbers? Like there's a mindset involved with staying sane inside of that marketing world. So that's that's what I love about that, what I do with that is because these these artists may ask me questions, you know, um, my mom said they didn't like my my cover on, on my Instagram. And I remember I had this conversation with my clients yesterday and I was like, well, I was like, I don't send my music for feedback anymore when, I, when I'm done with it. Because if somebody tells me my snare drum's a little too loud, I'm going to start looking for something wrong and I'm going to find that and a million other things when I, the only thing that matters, I think, when we're producing art or writing or anything is trust. You got to learn to trust that thing, that intuition. So it, it's nice to talk to artists about marketing in their own language. That's sort of what I do. Yeah. And it, in regards to what you said about feedback, it's I kind of gain that same approach where I don't necessarily, I feel like when you're new, it's common for you to be like, I'm, I want to get as much feedback as possible. And that can help you when you're new. But for me, now that I've, I've been making music for what feels like forever now, <laughs> um, I, I send my music to one or two people who I trust. And for example, Jerry, who I, you know, I had on last week, he does mixing and mastering professionally. So I, I value his, his opinion a lot. But if, if I get a comment from 
some random guy in one of my music videos, it's like the vocals are cool, or whatever they say, or even submit hub, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't really value their opinion enough to, to give it any thought really. Like if the same people bring up, you know, when you're submitting to submit hub, you get like 15 rejections that all say the, yeah. uh, I don't know, something, then maybe you should pay attention. But I, I think artists, uh, need to trust themselves more at some point. So important. Uh, I take all that feedback with the grain of salt. Um, the submit hub though is challenging. That's why people, artists, uh, if they can hire somebody to do that, because uh, if you're not ready for for what you're about to see on there, uh, stay away. Yeah. It means just not right for the specific tastemaker. So the submit hub's a tricky place to navigate sometimes. Yeah, and I, I don't know if I told you this before, but I, I'm a curator on there, on Submit Hub. And uh, one of the most, one of the biggest reasons I reject people isn't because of the, some quality of the music. It's because it's like, I love this song. I love the vocals. I love the production. You did a great job. It just doesn't fit on any one of my playlists. Like, it's, oh, yep, that's it. That's what I noticed, too. And uh, it's it's hard to not take that seriously for some people and then flip out and start beating themselves up. It's just, you know, you take those things with a grain of salt. And, uh, you know, it, it's uh, you can't lose your uh, the angle. Always trusting themselves. Trusting yourself is like the biggest step I've taken as an artist. Because when I started, obviously, I was at Icon. We had this den in there, right, where they'd show movies without sound. It was interesting. But you would see, and including myself, like, hey, bro, listen to my track. Listen to my track. And uh, or somebody would hand the headphones to the guy sitting next to them, and then you see the guy roll his eyes, like, "Oh, here we go," you know. Um, and almost we weren't showing each other's music to each other to get feedback. We were trying to like flex, be like, "Yeah, my song's coming here," you know. Uh, Whoa, that that dubstep growl, you know. Uh, so we, um, I stopped doing that. I, I just was like, I always ask myself, if it's somebody that I trust, like a really good engineer. And I always value their opinion. Um, I'll send it to them. But even then, like, still, I, I just, like you, like, a decade of producing, you kind of just get, you know, you're like, okay, I know this is going to work. I trust it. It sounds cool. I don't overthink it. I just go, shoot, right away. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, we have some questions in, too. So let's let's jump to those. Uh, Grange asks, what was the most interesting thing you've learned while learning under your idol slash mentor? Oof. Wow, so I got a, I got quite a few of those. Um, I have one, obviously Ariel, in the marketing side. I have another Jarrett, who is he runs the school and studio I work at. Um, I walked in there, same thing. I want to do what you're doing. I want to have a studio, a school, um, and then I have personal mentors. But for the two music ones, right? Um, Cyber PR. So Ariel. Um, you learn so much. You see what's behind the scene. Um, what I'm learning about from Ariel and Jarrett is that there has to be structure and there has to be system. Um, these two people know how to streamline their processes, whether it's from the marketing, whether it's from the business side of you, your business, or whether it's from just um, the music, everything, you know, there has to be a way to efficiently do get from A to Z as quick as possible without sacrificing quality. So whether it be templates in production, whether it be templates on your Instagram marketing, whether there's already email templates, like I'm learning that the preparation 
that you do for certain things is more important than the actual doing it. Um, so that's really what I'm learning is, is the structure that I never had. And preparation is so key. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. And for me, that's also true where when you're, well, I guess there's a couple of ways I could talk about this, but I, I'll talk about my YouTube channel, for example. Um, before not knowing like who, who my videos are for and what my content is and also like what my strategy is in terms of like when I shoot videos, when I edit them and all that, it just led to me kind of just like wasting a bunch of time and being very inefficient and having bad results. And then once you kind of come up with a system to like, this is how I'm going to record this, edit this, uh, figure out all the, the titling and thumbnails and everything and get kind of a template that you can copy, then all of a sudden that process becomes so efficient yeah. where you can focus on what matters, which is, is the content. And I do the same thing with like my music promoting my songs. I know a few different types of ads that work best for me based on my experience. And I know yeah. the timeline I need to execute certain things. So I can focus on what's important, which is either the, the message of the ad or who I'm going to target or how I'm going to optimize the campaign instead of you know, dicking around with all this other stuff that you don't need to think about every time. Yeah. Hundred percent. I'm learning that like so much because you wind up even with production. Like, I can't spend if it's for a client five hours trying to compress this baseline. I know what should work. You know, I have I have presets in Ableton ready where I just turn that knob. <laughs> okay, move on. You know that those and that preparation before, and the same thing goes with marketing and 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 uh, your your posts and having them scheduled and and doing the research beforehand, you know, having those systems in place takes away, people say like, um, restriction is a, is a bad thing, but no, this type of structure, it just, it's like bumpers in a bowling alley when you're doing something. If you don't have that in place, uh, you'll, you, you'll wind up never making money. You'll wind up never moving forward really because you're still working on the same project or the same piece of content for like three, four days. Whereas, if you had that template you used for the first one, on just the content is always going to be different, um, and then everything else is push and go. Same with ads and and the and the retargeting and the funnels and the audiences. You know, having that built ahead of time, everything. Yeah, and every single person I talk to says the same thing. Like I, I talked with um, Outlook the rapper a couple of weeks ago, and he says like the number one thing he focusing focuses on is making systems. And then talking with, with uh, Adam Ivy, he's just like, I'm, the one thing I'm focusing on right now is how to like make a system. And yes. you know, a few other people, it kind of comes up time and time and time again. So uh, great advice for, and a great answer to that question as well. And we have another one, kind of in the same, uh, same vein from Freelance Alchemist, which is an awesome name. <laughs> uh, hey Matt, what aspect of PR is completely different from what you thought it would be? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I, to tell you, I love your name too, because Alchemist by Paula book. I don't know if you've read it. It's an amazing book. Um, now, aspect of PR, there's a lot. So I didn't know what PR was when I got into it um, as an artist. I was like, oh, we need PR. Everyone talks about PR. It's, it's what gets your music to the right people. Um, it does, but... Um, it's, it's still work that you have to do. You have to make sure your social media is on point. You have to make sure the song's good. You also have to make sure that the song is going to work 
for the demographic that that PR agency has because PR is very much based off of connections that that person has. So that surprised me because I used to think that PR was like this magic wand, but it's not. And um, what I really learned about it and I keep learning is that it's better to, um, I, I used to think PR, okay, you send it to a PR agent, this is how you get on these massive blogs and these massive Spotify playlists and stuff. And what I learned from Ariel is that's not necessarily always the goal. Uh, that's when you're first starting out. I, I've really learned to uh, focus on dropping the bar down a little bit and not to sacrifice anything, but if you're just starting as an independent artist or a DJ, an independent artist, it's very, very hard to get through to those major ones first. So um, you can use tools like Facebook Insights. And this is what I learned from this is that a lot of the same like social media marketing tools work in PR. So you want to go for those smaller level influencers at first and go for a lot of them rather than shoot at a gate that everybody's going to. Like, let's say you want to go to spin and records right away. You know? Everyone's in there. It's very hard to get in. So try finding maybe on Submit Hub some smaller ones, you know, 500 listeners. Get 10 of those as opposed to trying to go for those 500,000 playlists right off the bat. And I learned that because before I worked with them, I'm going to be honest with you, I was shooting. I'm like, man, I got to get on these big ones. I got to get on these big ones. Why won't they answer me? And it's like the second I started working for Ariel at Cyber PR, I was like, oh, you know, this is how you build slow it you have to start somewhere and that's that's what i learned yeah and going on that do you think there's an aspect to having that leverage as a smaller artist like do you think it helps a small artist to get on let's say 10 small playlists and two small blogs so that that way when they go to approach those larger blogs or playlists that they can say um we've gotten on these 10 playlists and these these two blogs do you think that that's a factor uh, i i it depends. I mean, if they're no names, like like something that's like three followers, you're saying no. Um, but I, I still think anything is better than nothing in that terms. Um, I do. I think that if you're not just focusing on numbers and you can get some quality ones um, that actually are in your demographic, the key is that. So if you take three smaller ones that have, let's say, 200 fans, right, on each, like active readers, maybe even less. But all maybe like 10 or 20 percent of those people are going to actually listen to your song like you're you're going to build an actual following like you need 10 good fans and that's going to start to and I'm not talking your friends or your family, but <laughs> whatever get you if a 20 person playlist is going to get you that or a 200,000, you know, um, some of those big ones, I've seen this with some clients and some of those Spotify, like we were talking about, some of those Spotify companies I've seen because they've come to us after that. Um, and I'll look at their Spotify analytics and I'm like, okay, there's all these plays, there's no shares, there's no saves, they're out in like who knows where. Um, and you you get this feeling that those big, big, big playlists, some of them, they're just buying bots. So it helps to have real playlists and real blogs that you know are real and you know are getting real engagement so if there were 10 people on it all 10 looked yes they're not going to look necessarily for which playlist you were on they're going to look for 
Are you a force? Do you have a lot of comments and engagement? It's all about the engagement you have, whether you're looking for PR, whether you're looking for playlisting. If you have a fan base that engages with you, you can go anywhere. So I think that's the most important part. Yeah, I agree too. The the quality of the fans that you acquire is, is a huge factor from what I've noticed because, well, one, it's almost calling those those playlist listeners fans is kind of a lie in the first place. Because, uh, you know, yeah, I think we, we said it when we talked before, but, you know, playlist listeners are definitely not your fans. And a lot of, uh, very few of them will go to your playlist or, sorry, go to your profile and follow you. And when I was talking to uh, Jason, the, the founder of Submit Hub, a couple weeks ago on, on an episode, he brought up that the cool thing with blogs, even he's like, even if they're small, they usually have a hardcore reader base. And even if the reach is smaller, if you can get 10 new fans that are kind of like the most hardcore music fans, right? They read music blogs. If you read music blogs, you're a hardcore music fan. So if you get yeah. 10 of those people, that's I'd say that's worth more than like a thousand of the random people who might like your song in a playlist, you know? Much more. I think word of mouth is the most powerful thing in marketing. It triumphs anything else. So if you have two people talking about you to all their friends, playing your stuff in their car, playing your stuff in class, all this stuff, you know, um, that's going to start to trickle out. Um, those are your super fans that you're going to, that are going to talk about, you know, but ask them to. So when you can get those high quality fans and sometimes they don't live in those massive um, places, sometimes those nerdy high, high end, like so into the little details of the music, but have their own big following they're better than, than than a massive 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 um being on a big playlist you know there also might be five songs on that playlist and as opposed to a 500 song playlist, you still have better chances of getting heard yeah yeah definitely uh let's see i had some more questions come in here uh so jordy power asks i don't know if this is a question we can necessarily answer on this but <laughs> question was uh best way to get facebook ads cheaper i've been testing now for almost a month but i've only been able to get my cost per conversion down to one dollar so i guess the uh the first part of that in your opinion what do you think the best way is to get facebook ads for music cheaper okay so uh i saw this youtube video on this five dollar ad strategy i forget who it is um but ever since i saw that it changed the way i go about ads for everything the best way to do it um it takes a lot of research so again this is a, a thing where the preparation you do before is gonna definitely play um in how it performs so the best way to do it is take you seriously go on um and find a lot of, um, as many bands as you can or artists that sound like you, right? Obviously. Um, but you're not gonna target them. Like that That would be like me or you saying, okay, we're gonna target right for Flume, right for San Hollow, all those guys. We're not gonna do that because it's gonna be more expensive because a lot more people are going towards those. So what you're gonna have to do, I think, is kind of break down those bigger targets into like their, their the community under them. So if, if you find like, okay, let's say you're going after like uh, a certain artist and they have so many, they have a hundred, they have a million followers on there and stuff. Um, I'm sure, sure, sure that they have like sponsors where a lot of their followers go. They have fan pages. Um, there's other um, 
organizations kind of tagged onto them um, that are smaller. Um, so what I do is I go on that Facebook Insights tool and I spend a long time researching that specific artist or those specific demographics I'm going for and I try to scale them down as far as I can where it's gonna be a lot cheaper. So what I'll do is I'll run $5 tests on each that I choose. Um, sometimes it's 10, sometimes it's five. Um, so that way right off the bat, you're not blowing out a ton of money 40 bucks on one ad and then it doesn't work. I'm only spending five on each to see which ones get up. Um, I, I try not to get that cost per click over uh, a dollar, you know, like, like you're saying, like, I, I try not to let it get over that. Um, so I usually use the relevant score a lot as my sort of buffer for how far, but the key to keeping them cheap is to kind of choose smaller pools to put them in, as opposed to jumping into an ocean where everybody's going at that one choose the micro communities around your genre your your artists that you sound like if you can find those little tiny um pockets in there pockets of 100 people there 100 200,000 there um you'll you'll have a lot more a lot more luck so facebook insights mm -hmm. tool you search on it it's it's incredible that's a it's a super good point that i i i'm going to try my next campaign cuz i i actually do often go right for <clears throat> the, the San Holos, the Flumes, the Chainsmokers. Um, and while my ads, like, they still do well, they'll get down to, I usually say between 10 cents and 40 cents per conversion, and I usually aim for the lower side of that, like 10 to 15 cents per conversion. Um, but that's a super dope idea, and because what you're saying about the Insights tool is 100% true. So if anyone's watching this and hasn't used the Insights, if you go to Facebook Business Manager, click the nine dots in the corner, and go to... Um, I think it's just called audience insights. You can type in things like San Holo in the United States, the UK, and whatever. And you'll actually find that, um, you might find that people who like San Holo are like 900 times more likely to be interested in like Reebok or something like that. And you, you're not necessarily gonna target Reebok, but you might find something like they're not like 50 times more likely than the average person on Facebook to be into, uh, I don't know, like some music festival that's smaller, or maybe they're into some music blog because some blogs are targetable on Facebook. And so that's a super interesting idea where instead of directly targeting the artist, you target the, uh, the things around them, like the communities that their fans are likely to also be interested in. And so, um, Jordy okay. Power, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of, of what I say. Um, I won't go too in, too in depth, but one way that I get my cost down is I'll do multiple ad sets in multiple ads inside, inside of each ad set. So you'll have your campaign and then you might have, um, you know, three different ad sets or something, three to five with different audiences in each. And then inside of each ad set, you might have three to five ads. And what that lets Facebook do is find which combination of ad and ad set works most efficiently. And then what you can start to do is turn off ones that are more expensive and added new ones that have the potential to be tested and, and try to drop the cost. Combine that with Matt's idea of testing uh, exactly. like micro communities around the artist, and I think that'll help a lot. So, great question. Very good um, question. And we'll, we'll do one more question, then I'll jump back into some other stuff. Uh, Matt Jenkins says, thoughts on TikTok? Worth diving into, what do you think? TikTok, TikTok. So I remember Gary V talking about it like 
while ago. He was like, um, TikTok's going to be the next best thing. It's going to be awesome. Um, we talked about this on, on our other on our other um, chat. Well, it's getting now. I, I used to not be about it. I'd be like, nah, you know, the, the demographic's too young. But it's getting important now because once it starts to come up a lot, that means it's probably a place you should be. Um, most artists that come in, I ask them if they have a TikTok. Um, but I would say this, if your content isn't TikTokable, you know, um, it's going to be hard to do well on there. Um, but you can make a strategy for it. You know, you can, you have to really build a strategy around your demographic if you're going to use TikTok. Um, you can't just go on there and dance and do things like that, um, like other people do. Um, if you're a metal producer or a metal band and you're on there dancing like Taylor Swift, you know, <laughs> not going to work. So maybe you like do like some scream type content or like, um, because those, what's awesome about it is those super fans of, of certain very funky, distinguished like little communities. There's these clouds of those really diehard fans that are on TikTok. It's harder to get to them because I don't know if many people understand how that algorithm works yet. I don't yet. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if there's ads on there yet. Um, there are, and but, I, I actually just started running my first TikTok ad myself. Yeah, that's where I'm heading. Start digging into it because I think it's gonna be like Instagram. It's gonna either somebody's gonna buy it if they haven't already, but wherever a mass amount of people are, just think about it in like real life. Like if there's a lot of people at a mall, you're gonna see a lot of advertisements in a mall, a lot of posters, a lot of billboards. In a large city, there's a lot of billboards. So TikTok's becoming like a large city. So now people are putting their billboards up. So it's important. I, I would say to think about a way to make a content plan because the hard part about it is your content plan for Instagram and Facebook's not gonna work on TikTok. This is a whole nother ball game and you have to really be careful about how you make your content on there. So um, don't shy away from it, but when you do go into it, make sure you go in with a, with a strong strategy on what, make sure you know what exactly you're going for, who you're trying to reach exactly, because they're there. It's, and these are the diehard people that are on there, trust me. Um, but make sure you know exactly who you're going for. Do the research on Facebook Insights. You can get a lot of information from there on who your tribe is and then make content that's or that's authentic to you that that tribe will like that's that's my advice for TikTok. yeah and i, I have a few friends who well friends slash acquaintances slash you know people i've talked to a couple times <laughs> that are, are pretty doing pretty well like um for example ruslano i had on the show like a month or so ago um he has thirty thousand followers on TikTok and he doesn't promote his music at all actually what, what he does is since he's a christian hip-hop artist he focuses his entire channel on doing like daily proverbs and other, other related Christian stuff. And that's his niche. And then with, um, with Outlook the Rapper, he's a little smaller now, but he still has a couple thousand. He focuses, focuses around kind of um, sharing music content, like top five songs by this artist and other, I'm forgetting a couple of his other ones, but they're always like super focused and they're not necessarily the same as what they would share on Instagram. It's always like they've devised a content strategy that they know kind of works for the platform and then they do it three to five times a day in some cases. More um, is on Twitter where you can get away with more without 
pissing people off. Yeah, you can you can put out like ten TikToks a day, and the way their algorithm works, it's like most people just scroll in the for you feed, and your followers don't show up there. You have to swipe to the side and swipe to your followers, and even then, I've never seen duplicate posts from people. So they they seem to be very good at sorting that. Um, yes. And the way that their algorithm works, from from what I've read online, is that it it's kind of just like YouTube. They're optimizing for watch time, repeat listens, and engagement. And that's essentially what YouTube and Spotify is, is doing and Instagram. Um, and the, the, the way people think it works is that you hit a certain threshold of watch time, repeat watches, that it gets put in from that starting tier into a tier one, where they push it out to like 100,000 for you pages. And then they reevaluate all that engagement. And they push it up to another tier where they're pushing it out to a million people and they reevaluate. Um, and then it gets to a certain tier where it goes to manual review, which is why you'll see so many people with posts saying like, why TikTok take this down? And they'll yeah. re redo it and then it just climbs to that tier again and then TikTok takes it down again. And they can just kind of repeat that process a bunch. Um, but it's it's definitely the wild, wild west. <laughs> yeah, I like, like, I don't know if there's interest on it yet, but have like that control like you do on uh, on Instagram yet. But I do foresee it getting to be like that because now you see this large shift towards it. You know, every band that comes in asks us about TikTok. So to me, that's an ind indication that, okay, you know, we should start learning about this a little more. Yeah. So I was just reading through some of those. Yeah, great, great point. And I think this is a good transition. You mentioned everyone that comes into Cyber PR ask you about that. So I kind of want to dive through some of what you guys do, because um, you do a lot. Um, just yeah. kind of scrolling through your site and the services, you have yeah. PR campaigns, you have playlisting help, you have total tune-up, community management, musician's website, musician bio, and then Cyber PR Labs. So um, what's like the core service that you typically provide for artists? I think the, the core of it is that total tune-up because uh, it includes a little bit of PR. It includes a little bit of like, you know, brand, actually what, what the total tune-up does is what it says. It's, it's kind of what I, what we've seen a lot is the artists that come in really just don't know. They don't know how to do it. You know, it's, it's a, there's so many moving parts to, getting heard you know that i don't think pr alone is enough which it isn't so the total tune-up focuses on you your, your online presence as a whole whether it's youtube email marketing social media playlisting pr so that is like the core of what what we do it's it's really not just taking your money and going okay we're just going to put you on a couple playlists and, and give you this and that no it's it's let's let's build you up, give you really good content, really good posts. Let's get the machine rolling before we go into that world because it's only going to enhance the, the reach you get on PR. Um, so the, it's really a lot of, of, of social media work, um, building, understanding your brand, your goals, and um, building a strategy around that. You know, I, I think it's really just um, the, the tune-up does everything. So. That's kind of like the core work. But the cool thing about it is the PR campaign that you do do with us, um, it's a nice dashboard and you actually get to keep the contacts that, that like you um, you get. So if you get on a blog, 
you have their contact for life. You know, you take it, you can reach out to them again. So that's something cool because when I was trying to find PR, you know, it, it's like throwing your information into a black hole. You don't know who they're reaching out to you, how, who they're reaching out to, how they get you on, on these blogs. So that's the one thing different that I really love um, as an artist. That's why I chose them because we got on like 30 something blogs and I had every single one of them's contact information. They even shared the submit hub blogs that, that they got submitted to. So, yeah. Wow. That, that's really good because, as you said, usually it is essentially just a black box where you give someone money, they tell you what you're on, and then that's like yep. the end of the transaction. And yep. that's – I've talked to people who have done PR in the first, it before in the past, and they've, they usually say that, that it's essentially they felt like they spent a bunch of money and they get told they were on these things. They never built any relationships and they never saw any kind of return on that investment. Um, yeah. So it's cool yeah. that you guys have, I mean, first of all, the musician's total tune-up sounds like a good point because I've said it a couple times where investing in marketing isn't, isn't not everyone is at that stage yet. They exactly. should have a content strategy. They should have some idea of their branding and target audience. And it sounds like in general, un unless you get an artist that's ready, um, a lot of artists that, that you deal with would likely go into the musician's total tune-up and then later come back for a either a playlisting campaign or a PR campaign. Yeah, we have a lot of clients that they sign up for the tune-up. Um, it does, the tune-up does include a little bit of PR, but they wind up um, also getting PR part of it too. They, 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 um, they purchase that plan on top of their tune-up um, because once you kind of have those gears turning, um, you got to break the iron while it's hot. You know what I'm saying? So you yeah. might as well go in and, and just use the full power. Um, so it's, um, th that total tune up, it, it, it covers any holes that you might have that you might not know. And we all do, you know, there some, some of us, we're not using YouTube when we should be. Some of us, we're not using Instagram at all. You know, we have clients that come to us that don't even know what some of these platforms are. So um, getting that total breakdown, and that's what you get. You get like how to modify stuff locked in, how to get Instagram, how to get YouTube, how to get email marketing, uh, everything. You know, so we it's really broken down in a really good way. Cool. Is, is that something that's, is the price variable for artists, like on a case-by-case -case basis, or is it a consistent thing? I, like, I know you guys have a quote thing on there, so feel free to... Yeah, it's tell me it's consistent um there's payment plans on there though like you can break them up um but yeah it's it's pretty consistent there's not like a grab bag of like of like oh you're just gonna do instagram or that and that sometimes after we've done like a tune-up we've continued with the the engagement and stuff on people but you can you can buy hours where you can you can uh spend those on certain things like getting a bio written social media engagement making social media posts you get like hours and you can use them on social media you can use them on um ads email marketing pr so that's hmm. that's kind of how it works in that way so you're not just yeah. buying one so it helps a lot yeah that's that's interesting how you do a kind of an hour system i've never mm -hmm. heard of anyone doing that but then yeah. again i've also never actually hired a pr company so um Maybe, maybe maybe that's a thing that other people do, but it sounds very unique from what I've seen online. So well, Ariel's ever too. So that um, that helps a lot that she what 
works for her is that she gives out so much information and all of it's like really good. And, and that also is something I've learned from her is that like, you shouldn't be like, oh my God, I'm not going to give advice or information out. Um, especially if you're trying to get somewhere because um, that she, she's been blogging for like 10 years and, and I'm such a nerd when it comes to SEO and stuff. So um, her organic search, I remember going in there and I was, I was setting up some ads and I saw the organic number. I was like, wait, you're not paying for Google search. Like the numbers I see, I'm like, what? Cause like, it just goes to show that like, just giving out really good information, you know, from not, she, she never expected anything to turn. Um, that's kind of the story of where Cyber PR came from. Ariel was a blogger. Like if you go to the website, there's so many blogs and checklists. I would check that out. There's like all these like start to finish checklists that you should do before you even go to a PR company or what you have to do to get your song on Spotify or how to optimize your Instagram, how to set it all up from scratch. There's all these free things that she gives away. And, um, it's just such a good model on how to just do well as an artist or anyone that makes content online. So it's, it's, it's that's how it evolved. And I, I believe is that she started with that. Right. For, for anyone that's, that's watching this, um, I would definitely say go check out cyberprmusic.com. Um, and when this video is, is actually like a video video and not a live video, um, there'll be, there'll be links in the description, but there's, there's a blog, there's a podcast, there's a YouTube channel every twice a week, there's a live stream on your Instagram. Um, and that kind of strategy applies very, very well for artists as well. Like you, every artist, well, I, I don't want to say every artist, but, um, well, yeah, every artist should pick a couple means of organic content reach. Like, for example, start a blog on your website. And it might not work for everyone, but, okay, maybe start a podcast. And maybe if that doesn't work for you, start a YouTube channel. And exactly. over time, you build up this, this asset. And blogging in particular is quite powerful still for organic. Like, Google isn't really suppressing reach yeah. and search results. It's all... For Geneva Studios, my company, 90% of the traffic is organic Google search. Um, and it's not huge, wow. but it's still like somewhere between five and 10,000 page views a month, just organic. Because those those prices you got to pay for those keywords are, you know, there's there's businesses spending $1,000 a day, like just getting their, keeping their stuff on, on the front page. So um, if you can get organic keywords and, and high, high, high um, engagement from that uh, traffic from just organic stuff. And that just comes from you building up your, your keyword base um, by blogging or uh, YouTube, anything where you're just getting a lot of traffic. It, it really builds up your organic search. Yeah, th there's a book. I don't know if I have it around here. One sec. <laughs> oh, yeah, here we go. So I, I probably should uh, should use, I know they have an affiliate link for it, but I think you can get this book for free. And it's actually, it talks about a lot of that stuff. Um, oh, yeah. I saw that on an ad and I got it too. Yeah, it's and Russell Brunson's like, I mean, he, there's a lot of sketchy stuff about him, but he's yeah, yeah. a brilliant marketer. And every book, yeah. just to um, just to kind of give some perspective, he does every book he does as a free plus shipping and handling offer where you pay $10 for shipping and you get the book for free. Um, I did. 
And I did too. And that's a, it's a great deal because it is a solid book, especially if you don't know all that stuff about like organic content yet. Um, and the thing is, you're going to be upsold until you're blue in the face when you, when you do it. They'll try to get you to buy all three of his previous books. They'll get you to try to buy a $100 training thing. They'll try to sell you on a $600 training thing. And then they'll try to sell you to get ClickFunnels. So keep that yeah. in mind if you check that out. But. It reminds me of that Ty Lopez thing where it's never ending. You're like, oh, yeah, here, here's another upsell, upsell. Yeah, but I did yeah. get it too. That's that's called a clickbait, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's it totally works. And honestly, for artists, like that's that's um, if if anyone knows of entrepreneur in their training program, they actually have an example of how artists can use that exact same free plus shipping and handling offer, where you give someone a free CD, but they pay seven ninety five per shipping in the United States and thirteen ninety five for international shipping, and then you upsell them on shirts and other stuff. And the idea is to get your average cart amount higher than well to a certain point of profitability so basically the funnel breaks even the shipping and the cost of the book to break even and then you get all those leads all those email contacts and all the upsells are what gives you a profit and russell brunson has built this into a like hundred million dollar business so um i'm glad that you've also enjoyed the um the world that is a click funnels upsell offer <laughs> That's all it is, but anytime you see free, it's well, you see the word free, you're just like, I gotta check that out. You know, you'll see all these risk-free trials, but spending uh, two hundred bucks on something, and then and and they'll just promise you that you can return in thirty days, which is that's been around forever. It's just the way they're leveraging that as risk-free trial. You see that word free, you're gonna go. You're gonna be like, oh, I got nothing to lose. You know. So that's that's uh it's it's key when you're doing stuff you know if you're doing a free remix use the word free as much as you can <laughs> <laughs> yeah so aside from uh the tune-up and the like pr well i don't want to say aside but if an artist came to you i mean this might be different for every artist but if an art artist came to you comes to you and says i have 10 grand i'm gonna spend on promoting my either next couple singles or my next album like what what would be your kind of process that you would you would take them through or what would you give them in terms of services i guess like in terms of what what amount of that budget would you allocate for pr what would you allocate for playlisting what would you put into facebook ads what would you put into content strategy yeah um i honestly it's like the total tune-up works so well that it kind of addresses all of that so we would put that right into that it's 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 almost like we don't have to it, everything kind of goes back to that example i said in the beginning on how things have systems um this is just something that works it works so well so that whether an artist that comes with us from a hundred fans that they have or they already have a hundred thousand fans you know what i'm saying like this system works so well that it's gonna do pretty much what it should do because we're focusing on that 360. So if somebody came to us like that and they said, which we have, we we just signed on a band that that they're like, okay, we wanna we want a long term relationship and we wanna have, you know, let's release the first single and then the album. We have eight songs. They sent us all eight songs. We help them figure out which one should come first. You know, um, you know what kind of 
direction uh, they want to go in in terms of marketing, demographics, all that stuff. Um, the most important part about what we do is finding the purpose behind the song that we're about to promote or the artist. Um, that way, during that total tune-up process, um, it's very hyper-focused. So we pretty much do that no matter who they are. If they have 100,000, 10,000, um, you know, you want to really make sure that they're well-rounded and you want to gather as much information. That's what we do. We're gathering a lot of information about them. First thing you get is a sheet with a lot of questions on it that, that really kind of tell us what you're about, what you're about outside of music. You know, what are your values? What are your core values? What's your, you know, that's all the stuff that matters. So, um, $10,000, you know, you're doing the tune up, then maybe you'll do a little bit of extra PR. Um, Maybe you'll keep some social media management going. You know, maybe you have me as your account manager. I'm engaging, growing your account, um, uh, getting, running ads. All that stuff's really important, and the ad budget is important too. So you put, you would want to, you want to put a good amount under that because we're building such a good strategy. Um, so it, it, it's really about that total tune-up. So you brought up story in that. Like, what, what's the narrative and what's the story behind the release? Do you find that's a, a critical aspect? It's the most critical aspect, most critical. Um, otherwise, it's really hard to um, hard to leverage it. Really, um, when I worked with them, it was there was a song. The lyrics were written a lot about um, personal issues to us, like like I struggled with anxiety and depression and things, and the lyrics were very much about that. Um, and little did I know mental health awareness was also that month. So they actually crafted a campaign with us around mental health, got us in touch with other bloggers and channels that are about mental health. Um, so without that focus of the story behind the lyrics of the song or the instrumentation, um, it's, it's almost hard to get the deep fans because if, if you're just going to come in and say, okay, um, I'm a indie, indie rock band or I'm a folk artist. Okay. Um, we could send your stuff to a bunch of those genre, uh, blogs and stuff, but that doesn't mean you're going to get any fans. What's the most important is having a team that will ask you the right questions, figure all that important stuff out and, um, then go at it. So it's, it's the most important part is, is crafting that story around it and, and what it's really about. I mean, there's songs that like, like, like let's look at Chainsmokers. Um, what was that when they blew up with Selfie, right? So hmm. you also have those kind of songs. Obviously, it's like, what's the story around that, you know? Um, but there is. There's stuff in there that you can still use to leverage. Not every song has to be a sad, heartbreak song. But even if it's like a meme song, Gungam style, you know? <laughs> Um, there's blogs for that. There's people out there that have a community on pretty much anything you can imagine. So that is why it's so important to have that figured out. I agree. Um, I, I've struggled with that recently because I didn't know how important it was. Um, I talked with, with Circa, the documentary and that's the, that's the thing he said was like, that's the most important thing. So I'm glad you brought that up because it sounds like you, you agree. And if you look at like music blogging sites or music news sites, you'll often see that they never just come out with a song or an artist and say like, 
Ed Sheeran released a song. Like, they'll never say that. They'll say, like, Ed Sheeran releases touching emotional song about breakup he had five years ago, and then it, they got back together, and now this is what... Like, they'll come up with this narrative around it. And I would think that in that's all... I don't want to say fabricated, but to a degree, um, fabricated. Like, the, <laughs> the the song might be about that, but the, the job of either... I guess the the PR agency or the the artist doing it themselves is to think, well, what what's the most interesting spin I can put on this song to suck people into my world and make them love the message and therefore love me to a degree. It's all about how you're gonna position it and leverage. You have to have some sort of leverage. Um, if you don't, it's it's really hard. You know, you, you have to have that because otherwise there's no human connection. Um, you're right. When you go to these websites, you see these write-ups. Yeah, a lot of times they are. So we'll ask some clients at first to write up a little bit on what the song was about. And then obviously you go in and you really make it nice. And, and then it goes to the blogs and they like to write their own and spin on it. But you always have to start with that idea of, of what it was about. Yeah, that's dope. Uh, let's see. Someone has a question. Uh, we have a couple. Um, we're getting near the one-hour mark, so we'll probably not go for too much more. But um, someone says, Benjamin Storset says, Are you planning on talking about marketing on Amazon Music? Just got access to Amazon for Artists. Should I invest in it? Facebook ads with a landing page. And uh, from my side, I'll say that I'm currently actually testing out marketing to some of these third-party services, namely Napster and Tidal and Amazon Music. Um, but mm. what do you think? So when... Do you ever focus on anything other than Spotify and Apple Music? Um, I look at data. I'm a data guy. If um, it's it's for me, it's case by case. So before I even run an ad on somebody, I have to look at deeply at the audience I'm going after. If there's a massive amount of traffic on those, I'll go for it. You know, um, Amazon. You know, sometimes Amazon has like these uh, authors and stuff like that, where you know a lot of the fans of a certain song, or these people like this kind of genre of books and stuff like that. Or, you know, you can actually like pull, I pull information from Amazon like that. I'll look up authors and sort of communities and stuff like that. But I do it in like reverse from what you're saying, where you would actually market it on Amazon. I would, I like to pull data from Amazon and market it um, wherever the most traffic is going to be at the cheapest cost. So um, if it winds up being Amazon, if it winds up being Tidal, if it winds up being YouTube, you know, I try to still use Facebook, Instagram ads as much as possible. I'd rather send people off to an Amazon link than, than market on there just because I think the costs on some of those are a little high. Um, and I, and I, I just haven't seen enough results yet, but there might be results in certain genres. You know, I, I would think, so let's think Amazon, right? Amazon's probably more for the people at home with like Echo Dots or Alexa and stuff like that. Right. So if it's a certain song where a lot of people with like an Alexa app or like an Echo, something like that, like maybe an older demographic uh, that doesn't use Apple music or Spotify and it's linked in their home. Um, if it's like country song or a Christian based song or something like that, I think 
that demographic's bigger on Amazon. It's gonna it, it's it's gonna work more there because Alexa's gonna. I think Alexa, since it's from Amazon, it it automatically signs you up for. It'll pull from Amazon Music by default. It won't pull from Apple Music unless you link it or Spotify. You have to say, "Hey Alexa, play so and so from Apple Music." But if you just tell her to play something, I believe it comes from um, Amazon. So that's where, again, if if that specific type of drama or song or community was in that demographic, I would do that. But see how I think about. I always kind of try and backtrack. Okay. Why am I going to Amazon? I'm not going to do it just because I want to do it. I'm going to do it because, okay, it's linked to an Echo Dot or an Amazon or a smart TV. Um, who's who's there? Where am I sending this? That's that's the key with Amazon. That's a good point. The, the reason I'm testing it is mostly just to test it and see what happens. Uh, but that's a good point that it's for, for I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if for us, you know, as EDM future base artists, uh, that it might not have the biggest fan base because of a lot, a lot of the customers are probably those older demographic people with echoes and stuff. Because I don't know a yeah. single person that has Amazon Music Unlimited or they have a very complicated pricing scheme. But um, the I, I would think that for some people it could could be worth it. And for for Tidal and Napster, the reason why I was testing them is because they pay like five times more than Spotify per stream. So I'm, I'm wondering if, and and I'm wondering if since no artist actually cares about them, like I've never seen an artist be like, how to blow up on title, like if it might be easier to blow up on title. <laughs> yeah, I saw the big push they did when they when it first came out, and you see, I saw all those artists on stage. I haven't heard about it since. I know you can have like wave files on there and stuff, but it was my assumption that it was going to be more like a SoundCloud, and it wasn't. So. Um, I, I honestly haven't heard enough about Title. I'm interested, and I might try that as well. How's the cost on Title for for ads? I just started it like last night at two in the morning, so I haven't had enough results to say. That's I I ran a, a combined campaign to uh, Title, Napster, which is also combined with Rhapsody now, and sure. um, and iTunes. So I split them up, and I've only had like one result at each. So. I, I feel like yeah, if I if I said the price, it would be uh, a misrepresentation. Yet, I think it's a uh, it's not as much traffic. Obviously, um, have you ever used Ad Espresso? I've heard of it. I've never used it though. I wanted to ask you about that too because um, you do a lot of testing, and this is for anyone that does a lot of testing. Um, you can try like fifty different ad sets with like one click on there. Uh, it's definitely something to look at because mm -hmm. it um, that's what is cool. It, it you, can make a lot of ad sets with like a little amount of effort so definitely i wanted to see if you use that also because it's it's huge for that stuff definitely check that out yeah they've been targeting me in facebook ads for the past like two years because I, I don't know like, how they they found me there must be a targeting option of people who are into digital marketing or something on facebook they have a really good knowledge base on there too i learned a lot from them yeah i've seen their tutorials um not like on their service but to, to they have tutorials on just testing out various types of ads um and i think i think it was kind of pricey which is why i didn't try it i mean if the money if like obviously i would never spend more on a service back but um it's if if you if you were like dealing with a lot of ads it's it's like agencies and stuff it's a no-brainer yeah that's kind of like what we were talking about on our instagram live call with um chart metric we're like it's a super expensive service but like for an agency it's it's 
it's a no-brainer because you can have one license essentially representing 50 artists if you want. Exactly. Cool, man. So uh, we'll take one more question and then we'll probably call it a wrap. Uh, someone, yeah. let's see, what was this one? Unless anyone has any questions, feel free to fire them in and we'll, we'll keep chatting. But I think in terms of the base video that I'm going to edit, we have a good, good amount of content. Um, so Azazi, which is a very fun name, and I think I've oh, seen you on a couple of my other live streams. Uh, how do you deal with unusual genres? I make oriental electronic tracks. What do you think? Unusual genres. So uh, if, if there's no lyrics, um, which a lot of, I know, oriental um, oriental genres, they have, uh, they don't have much in, in terms of like actual lyrics. It's a lot of like um, wires and stuff like that, I want to say. Um, the only thing I believe we don't do is hip-hop. We usually refer hip-hop out. So in terms of these Oriental-type tracks, um, it's the same approach because there's a network for them. You know, if there's a network for people, you know, there's definitely a... So Oriental electronic tracks. So you can, you can dig into experimental genres, right? I think if you did a Google search, uh, on that specific drama, you'll find a lot, you know. Um, but if we don't have the contacts or the the network for that, we don't personally, um, it probably wouldn't be a good fit. But again, if there's a way to find the audience and if it exists, 100%, you know. There's, there's artists that go out there and they say, you know, we're gonna make the new thing, the next thing. Um, I used to think that way a lot, right? As an artist, I'd be like, I have to make the new thing, something that no one's ever done. Um, yeah, that's true, but um, it's also not because everything's kind of already been done. <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's it's a lot harder to market something that has never been done before than it is to market something that it it doesn't have to be like a cookie cutter, but it it if it falls in line with something that exists, easier to market. Um, now, what, what I'll say is that I released a project last Friday that was um, dubstep mixed with metal. It was one of my side projects. It's like dubstep music with like screaming vocals and, and Linkin Park style choruses and stuff. And super weird type of music, right? Like you would think that would be hard to market. It's my cheapest performing yep. cost per conversion that I've ever run. There's a Big, there's a big demographic for that. I went to school with Sullivan King. Right. He does that. Like, that exists. He caught that. But it was so interesting to see him take that from, because I knew him. Like, I was talking to him, and, like, he was that guitar player, right? But he focused on the large local community. He built that 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 Orange County fan base hard. And um, he knew he was going for those people. He knew. I'm going to, uh, he stuck to his guns, like, I'm rock and roll. And I'm going to find this generation and be, you know, it, it's, it's big. You would think that something is out there. Right. But like I said, do Google, Google search. You, you might find some communities that already exist. And if they do, like, I'm surprised that they're, they're, they're cheap, I guess, because it's still like a new hybrid of, of, of electronic music. Yeah. And, and then the yeah. way that I'm targeting it is instead of trying to target, I mean, I am targeting some artists that are, that are similar. Like I, I forget if Sullivan King is directly targetable, but um, what I'm targeting is like dubstep and then I'm narrow the audience by people who are into like 
heavy metal, uh, metal core. And then I'll also yep. target people who like, uh, they're like phase one and they like uh, Barely Alive and they like all these other dubstep artists, but they also like North Lane and Periphery and, and other metal artists. And the, the cross between those two niches is actually like millions of people. And for Oriental electronic music, one one idea that I would give you is I think Porter Robinson would have enough of a somewhat Your stuff. like he has a lot of I forget what it's called um, Kawhi future bass. Yep, it's the new stuff like that. It's very um, anime based and like Oriental and yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. And even if it's not as Oriental as, as your music is, like I think it's a starting point, and you could do something yep. where you target Odessa. And then you do a com combination with a straight up oriental artist or maybe you target some kind of asian culture thing maybe that would help yep. and because i would think that if if you're a, a japanese person growing up in the united states usually japanese or really any asian culture they're very they they value their culture a lot to back their heritage and background so if you target them in some way and find people that value that culture and also are in that genre i, th I think you might have something cool very it's not always the music targets you got to get to. Like when you're, when you're targeting for your music ads, you have to think about the type of person that's going to like that song. Sometimes you don't want to just target what they listen to. Uh, certain lifestyles listen to certain things. You know, there, there's these certain crossover points. It's strange how it works, but um, dubs. But you're right though. Dubstep and metal are like they they, they mesh really well. Thanks to Skrillex, I think, because he just introduced Arena. To, the electronic it was awesome so those cross over really well and just like you're saying there's porter robinson there's a lot of um crossovers more than you would think just definitely searching finding a starting point is definitely what we would do my my whole thing is is don't lose your don't lose yourself in the marketing don't lose yourself in the pr um approach it the same way you do when you're in the flow of a song try to stay true to yourself and un don't like try to add things onto yourself or pretend to be someone you're not just to try and get big 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 playlists and big big uh blogs and stuff like that or big influencers don't don't do that like it's not about building up a false image when you're marketing it's about peeling back those layers and getting as organic as possible um your fans want to get to know you the people want to get to know you. They don't want to get to know, um, you know, just this false reality that's out there. You know, they want to know what you're about. And that's how you can build trust and relate with people. So um, don't lose that awesome intuition you have when you move into the marketing world. And that's really what I preach. So.